start this before 10 o'clock? Probably. Okay. All right. And no. on that note, welcome to Geeks with Kids, uh, your bi-weekly geeky podcast from a parenting point of view. I'm one of your hosts, Steve, and joining me this week is Eric. Yep. Mark. Yep. Hello. And our special guest, David. Hello. I don't Hi. think he's really a guest because he said he's, he's been come back every week. So, oh, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> the new, he's just we'll uh, see. a hanger on now. We'll see how long he's a hanger on. I mean, see if I'm, I can ride your coattails. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, go for it. Um, so, um, what's good? Uh, which is our uh, our new um, ongoing thing? Really, really, we talk about new. Well, it's or, new-ish. we just brought it back. Okay. It was an old thing. Well, Eric, how about you start? Because, uh, you know. No, so end with me because I have a. Oh, uh, okay. So okay. what's good is basically where we just talk about uh, something that we've been enjoying for the last couple of weeks. Um, so I'll just start. Uh, I'm kind of the same every week. Uh, I've just been enjoying one thing. Uh, it's Warhammer 40K. And uh, actually this week I, I bought a really nice art book, 450 pages. It costs a lot of money. But you know what? I don't regret it. Uh, it's gorgeous. Uh, it has all the covers from across the decades of this, you know, one storyline, including all the new book artwork and excerpts in the book. It's beautiful. It's limited. And, uh, and damn it, uh, I wanted it. So, so that was my, uh, that's my what's good. Um, uh, Mark? Um, my what's good is I'm nearly finally done renovating after 17. That is good. It's very good. And 17 what? 17 months. Okay. We've done almost that's... our entire house. In wow. And then going to jump down my miniature painting rabbit hole again. Nice. Nice. I'm sure that will come up again. Yeah, there'll be. uh... And and I've been doing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. I'm DMing it, but only like once every month, month and a half. So that's, that's going well. Yeah. uh, Had you stopped for a while? Is that like something you just picked up again on? um, No, we've been doing it sporadically. We're off for a couple months over Christmas. One of our players is a chef, so he's not really available very much. Cool. Cool. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, actually, I myself have also started playing games, which is actually kind of what brings me to our next, uh, what hangers on, is that what we're calling him? David. Uh, so yeah. So, um, I guess, uh, I guess the first thing I should ask you is who the hell are you? Uh, what's your geek cred? My geek cred? Well, I've been playing D&D since I was like eight or nine. Uh, I played magic cards. I learned to play magic cards from playing star Wars cards. Uh, you know, I watched, uh, when, when I was 13, I took my dad's old VHS tapes and watched like alien and predator and blade runner and dune. Um, so despite being like way, 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 way younger than all you guys, uh, I still got a lot of the geek creds. Uh, I've still, I've read all the books. I've watched all the movies. I've read all the comics. So I, I think that counts. Yeah, yeah, you, you pass. I think so. Those too many yeah. ways. I don't like that. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure whether that's an insult or a, or a compliment. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Well, I was, born, I was born in 88. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I remember so watching can... the Olympics in 88. <laughs> exactly. When you can remember the year distinctly. Oh, no. Okay. All right. Well, before I get through to press, let's move on. What, what is your, uh, what's your, what's good this week? What's good? Um, I've been working on the audiobooks for the Sundering uh, series, which is a, a series of six novels that go from fourth to fifth edition, essentially, for the Forgotten Realms. Uh, just cool. to kind of refresh me. Like, I'm trying to just soak up all that information so I can spill it out at my players at my D&D table, and whether they like it or not, uh, that's been what's good. That's, uh, I've really nice. been enjoying it, actually. Nice, nice. Who, who wrote those? Uh, the first one... 
was Ari Salvatore. That's uh, the Companions. That's so that's a Dritz. It's like a Dritz novel, but it's everybody but Dritz. Ah, okay. Um, and then the second one I'm working on, it's called The Godborn. It's by I think Richard Lee Byers. Um, oh, I see. That one's really neat, actually. Uh, it's way better than I thought it was going to be. I've already read the third before. That's an Aaron M. Evans novel. That's The Adversary. Uh, the fourth one, I think, is called The Reaver. I don't remember who that's by. And then the last one that I remember, I know that one's by Ed Greenwood. That is The Herald. And that's so, actually the one I'm really looking forward to the most. So these six books, though, they form like a, an overarching like a story or what? what is their their connection? Yeah, they're not like one to the next to the next to the next in continuity. It's mm-hmm. like, here's what's happening to these characters in this part of the world as, you know, this world-changing event is happening, taking the world from fourth edition to fifth edition to help uh, ease certain people into the changes that happen in D&D sometimes, but also so that you can still have, um, like, continuity from the way the stories change, because they'll jump, like, 30 years yeah. So it's like, wait a minute. Well, why are these creatures in the monster manual now? And they've never been there before. Or sure, why, sure. Are they diff- why is this stuff different? So you can have, I mean, you can have a totally different series of monsters in your core stuff, but it's explained in the world. Yeah. No, this is actually, yeah, I didn't even know this was uh, going on. And actually that'd be really helpful for me because, um, yeah, I got, I've kind of gotten lost, you know, frankly, as far as, uh, you know, D&D settings are, are concerned. But I think that's a great segue. Uh, I, if you haven't guessed, uh, our episode this week is about dungeons. Oh, wait, I forgot. I forgot Eric's what's good because he, he wanted he wanted to make it special. And yeah, I No, no, that. no. I'm going to start with a rant. No, I'm not. Yeah, I could actually. That's I started, cool. I started hey. reading the novelization for Rise of Skywalker today. Why, why, why? do you do this to me? God, see, ah, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying no. <laughs> it, it's it's mad, but I'm not going to talk about that because it's mad. But I've very much been enjoying our Wednesday D and D game, Murky Mercs, which you know we stream on Twitch and YouTube, and um, I, uh, maybe on other things too. I don't know, Mixer. I'm sure oh, that's probably right. not. No, <laughs> probably not. No, but it, it, it's a good game. It's it's enjo- it's neat going back into the D and D you know swing of things. It's taken a while just to get you know used to it. It's been like what a decade since I last played. Mm. So you know, jumping back in is fun. It's the people are nice. We haven't started doing the voices yet, but well, except we'll for see. one. But yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. This you guy, this guy's not nice. <laughs> you, Steve, you, you, you are a little bit more than the rest of us who are still sort of um, getting our, you know. Oh, no, no. I, I, I still feel super awkward. Um, But yeah, yeah. David has been running this uh, game and it's fantastic. And uh, yeah, it's been like uh, a long time for me as well. Never, I've never played a game online before. So that's very interesting, but uh, never played a fifth edition game. And so it's all been, it's all been like sea leagues for all of us. Definitely. And, and if you've seen our stream, you definitely know we haven't played online before either. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, what are you using to play online? Oh, so many different things. <laughs> yeah. We keep, we keep changing. It's an evolution. I don't think we've, well, we're we not in the same thing. Have we? We're not, we're not using like roll 20 or anything like that. Uh, we have D and D Beyond, and then we just stream. Yeah, okay. uh, or I stream. Well, we've been. I think we're going to keep using it. We're, we've, we're using Zoom uh, for like video and like chat and stuff like that. And then yeah. we, I just stream my screen to uh, Twitch. All right, and then we record that. And I actually just exported the Twitch stream to to YouTube. So like mm-hmm. currently, there's all three of our games actually. I think are up. You know, oh, um, and there, and the thing, the nice thing is actually, as everybody gets better, 
at the game, like at playing, at role playing, they become more proficient. Everything. Our streams are getting better too. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, did the overlay go on? Like when we streamed it last time? Yeah, yeah. The overlay yeah, goes I, on automatically. I didn't watch it at all. Yeah. That's as nice. soon as I change it to Dungeons and Dragons, it goes boom, and then the overlay comes up, and people can yeah. see all your stuff. Maybe we'll right. make a logo and do a whole, you know, pretty screen so we can put our perspective, you know, people on. Yeah, on like whatever. like portraits and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just an investment for uh, for like time that we don't want to spend because it's mostly just for fun, right? Like yep. we're playing yep. it for fun. We're not we're not famous. Although if people want <laughs> to sponsor yet. us, that's that's totally cool. We're we're yeah. down with that. Yeah, uh, always. Anyway, so yeah, I'll yeah, run so any system. I don't care <laughs> as long as that system includes money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Dungeons and Dragons. So because of this game that uh, that me and Eric have uh, been playing, um, we thought, you know what, we should do an episode on Dungeons and Dragons. So for all our listeners who uh, obviously may have heard of it and are a little bit uh, not sure what it is, just because it's definitely very prevalent now, uh, it's it's made a huge comeback and uh, it's very mainstream. Uh, I just thought I would just sort of throw out there like, you know, what's a role-playing game? This is just me not being, you know, really technical. This is what I think, you know. Whenever I try to explain to people about Dungeons & Dragons, and Dungeons & Dragons is what, you know, is colloquially known as a role-playing game, I usually say that a role-playing game in its simplest form is uh, kind of like a communal uh, storytelling, where you have one person who is the main storyteller, who is often called a dungeon master or games master, and uh, and he uh, or she uh, creates and uh, directs the world, and then uh, other people take up uh, main characters. Uh, other, we'll call them, you know, they're the players. Uh, they will play different characters within that world, but they get to control those characters' actions. And then usually there's a mechanism for randomness that, uh, like dice, you know, so that it's it's not us all arguing about what happened. Um, but the end result is, you know, like a really unique experience. Now, I don't know, what do you guys think of my definition? Like, would you guys add something to, like, an explanation to someone totally new to role-playing games? Nope. No, not really. It was pretty, oh, okay. pretty That's pretty, pretty good. I think, cool. uh, I think, well, uh, another way to say it would be that a role-playing game is improv or yes. make-believe with a random engine so that you can determine yeah. whether things succeed or not rather than you going, I hit you. No, you didn't. Yeah. And that's it, right? Like there's just a mechanism to help determine the randomness for the make-believe you and your friends are doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's a really good, that's a more succinct way of putting it because it, it is, it's a lot of, it is a bit of a let's pretend, but then elevated to an adult level. And of course, all of us remember at some point where the, you know, I do this and no, you don't do that kind of uh, um, system stops, starts failing, you know, around like when we're, you know, six, you know, and then after that, you know, you, you need some kind of system, you know, for us to all agree on. And, and, uh, and that's what, uh, yeah, that, that's the mechanism that uh, makes role-playing possible. Um, so I just wanted to, I guess, uh, put it out there um, for our group. Um, why do people play role-playing games? And uh, I guess before I go in too much into that, uh, how many of us are, uh, games masters or dungeon masters. Uh, I think most of us, right? I am. Yep. Yeah. Nope. Eric, you haven't run anything. Uh, nope. and of course David is running our game now. Okay. Yes. So I've also run games in the past. Um, but, uh, I'll put it out to Mark first. Um, why do you play role-playing games and, um, and what do you like about DMing? Um, so it's two different questions. There's a lot. Um, I like about role-playing one, there's the sense of adventure. There's the sense of doing something with your friends. That's, um, kind of cooperative for the most part, sometimes not so much, <laughs> but, uh, everybody knows. Um, 
it lets you use your mind in ways that like a video game usually doesn't. It mm. lets you let you follow your curiosity, lets you imagine different things. And, you know, it's a bit of escapism as well. Mm-hmm. End of the week, go, you know, smash some marks. Sounds like a fantastic idea. Yeah. And what I like about dungeon mastering or game mastering is getting to use skills that I normally use for work-related things and stuff like that and incorporating them into something fun. So, for example, drawing, which I do a lot at work. I can create maps, design buildings, and so forth for RPGs, and it's a lot there. There's no pressure, but I'm still utilizing working on those skills, but in a fun, relaxed way. Right. So it lets you... It's just an outlet. That's the thing with the end. It's a giant outlet for your creativity and sense of expression and all sorts. Yeah, yeah. No, that's no, that's good. That's good. I um, uh, I have largely retired from um, DMing. I did quite a bit in university, and I really enjoyed it for a lot of the reasons you said. I think for me, it was definitely an outlet. Like, I think, uh, you know, I hate to use the word escapism, but in my case, I think there was definitely some truth to that. But but definitely for me also, um, I wasn't really doing things that were super creative and I needed, I needed that outlet for the creativity. Um, and, um, yeah, and just, uh, thinking up, you know, scenarios and and situations. And, and I guess one thing I wanted to add to my impromptu definition about role-playing games is, is even though you have this, this, uh, games master who is largely responsible for the world or the universe uh, in which the story is taking place. Uh, one of the things that's wonderful about role-playing uh, with, with humans is you, you don't know what the players are going to do exactly. You can't control them, you know, and that's part of the beauty of it, right? Because you'll get situations that are just hilarious and we're going to probably touch on some of those a little bit later. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely for me, uh, uh, DMing and, and playing is, uh, it's definitely a nice, it's nice, it's a nice outlet and uh, a, a sort of experiment, you know, for the mind. Uh, David, what would you say are your reasons and uh, favorite elements of DMing? Well, I started DMing because nobody else wanted to, <laughs> which is, which is basically how most people get a DM, right? Is you get a group of friends and then sooner or later they go, we want to play, but nobody wants to get them. Somebody goes, fine, I'll do it. Um, and I found uh, you got to play a game that everybody wants to play. Like if everybody wants to play Pargesi and one person wants to play dominoes, you, okay, well, we're not going to play dominoes because we're, we all like, it's, it's a democracy, right? It's you and your friends getting together. So a big part of that is, okay, I want to play this type of game. And then everyone, everyone else agreed, then we can sit down and play that type of game. And mm-hmm. that game was a role-playing game, right? Like, I, cause I have groups of friends you play all kinds of different board games with or card games with. And yeah, for sure. you know, sometimes you land on RPGs and you know, it may not be D and D could be other stuff. Um, and that's how it started. And then it became, Ooh, I can tell stories. And it's definitely a creative outlet. Cause I was definitely using characters as a creative outlet when I was just a player. Mm. But as when through the game, you're like, whoa, I can, I can tell whatever kind of story I want. It can be, you know, heroic p- characters taking on an evil overlord, or it can be, you know, kids growing up and learning about the world around them and exploring the world around them and becoming like adult. And like, you can just tell that in D and D. So there's like a, a big part of it is creative expression, but there's also like skills you can learn that you don't learn like in school or may- maybe even at work, like empathy, like D and D can really teach you empathy. Yeah. 
and you get that by playing other characters and that's all a part of that and that's one of the reasons i i keep playing it's like an addiction like i want to try these other lives that i can't live Mm -hmm. in real life and you get to do that as a dm sometimes more than as just one player uh because you get to put in characters and you go okay well However, these people, these players are going to react to this person is going to change who they are because we're going to play hundreds of hours together, hopefully. Right. Yeah. So you get to see all these things evolve and that can change you as a person, which I think is really neat. And that's, that's basically what keeps me coming back is, is that those kind of interactions. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. Uh, Eric, um, I actually don't know your role playing history. Um, so now that you're kind of coming back into it, yeah. Like what? What do you enjoy the most about um, playing role-playing games? Well, um, I didn't get to do it in high school because the people I was friends with in high school were always the, oh, no, that's that's too nerdy. Mm. No, no, we were cool. We we listened to heavy metal, so we can't play you know, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. Although, you know, if you ever looked at the art of, you know, a lot of metal yeah. bands, you know that they're into D&D. Um, so I didn't really get into it until university. And that's really when I started hanging out with theater people where this would be another right. way for us to be theatrical, but sure, in, a, sure. in a funny, nerdier way. So it was, it was always fun doing that. And then, you know, you get older and then those people graduate and you hang around in Hamilton and you got to find more people to play D&D. But luckily I, I got to, you know, play a couple of games after that. It took another couple of years to find people. People aren't very, um, at least back then, weren't yeah. really willing to say, yeah, I love Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, you know, for sure. Uh, you, you sort of had to skirt around the issues. So it's it, it's just a nice little outlet to be more, as an actor, or at least someone who tried to be an actor, or still sometimes tries to be an actor, um, it's a nice outlet to, you know, to play things that you don't normally get. Especially as someone who's Asian, you get typecast into roles, so you can That's play true. anything. That's and true. You can only play a ninja or a samurai, Eric. <laughs> or a cleric. Right? <laughs> so, well, he can be a wise old Wu-Gen, right? Or a, like monk. a, shaman, true. a monk. Yeah. True a yeah. monk, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So it was nice doing that. And then, you know, we got, because there were a lot of, uh, a couple of my friends were DMs. They, we got to do like variations on D&D. Didn't necessarily have to be in the fantasy element. So you got to play lots of different roles. And it, it was nice to do a different type of acting exercise. Yeah. Yeah. No, I uh, actually, we, we've kind of, all, uh, some of us have touched on it a little bit, but I was going to ask also like uh, what your earliest uh, memories were of uh, role playing. And um, yeah, in my case, it was, uh, I remember the red, what is that? Basic D&D book. Um, it, uh, I, I, we got it from the public library actually. And, uh, and I just, I was just like the artwork drew me in and the whole idea of like a system. And I don't even remember when I actually first played because I think, uh, it wasn't until high school. Um, and in my case, uh, uh, we weren't as cool as, uh, as Eric's high school friends. Uh, my small, they weren't group, cool either. <laughs> <laughs> my small group of friends, uh, we formed a, um, a, a game, uh, a role-playing game club off of, I think, a, the remnants of another game club that existed many years before that. And we turned it into a role-playing game club. And it was really just my immediate friends, honestly. But I did pick up a couple new friends from that. And and we've all kept in touch uh, ever since. And um, yeah, it was just us just us nerds trying all these different systems in empty classrooms after school. And, and then, yeah, when I went to university, uh, yeah, ironically, it was uh, in drama that I met other people that I would go on to play role-playing games with. And Again, still to this day. So, um, yeah, I mean, David, what was uh, your earliest uh, role-playing memory? Um, 
I have a distinct memory around eight or nine. My brother started playing in high school with my brothers are really close in age and I'm way younger than them. And uh, so they started playing in high school with a teacher and then they brought home the books and he was like, Hey, do you want to play this game? And they had another friend come over and I got to make a minotaur. And I was like, that's awesome. Like, cause you're eight or nine. You're like, what's the coolest yeah. thing you can think of? And you're looking at all these like characters. You can be like, I want to be a friggin' minotaur. They're friggin' huge. <laughs> uh, and then I think we all died in like 20 minutes. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I had a, my best friend uh, since we were four, we used to play, we used to run around and play this game uh, that we called journey. That mm-hmm. was like our version of like reboot. Do you remember, remember the cartoon yeah. reboot? It was like, that was like our make-believe game. We would run around and we'd come up with ideas. And as we got older and older and we played D&D together, I'm like, dude, we're just playing the same game. Like we've been playing this game since we were four. Yeah. It's just now we have books and rules and other, we figured out other people had thought of it first. Uh, but yeah, like we were, I was super young when I started doing role-playing stuff. Nice, nice. Um, Mark, uh, what was your earliest uh, I memory? think the earliest... Wasn't I didn't get started because of role playing specifically, but do you remember fighting fantasy books? Yes. Oh yeah. I remember I was in like grade three or something in our school library and I found an old Ian Livingston fighting fantasy book. Yep. Yep. And like took it home and you had to use dice and make a character and you go through it's like a choose your own adventure. Yeah. But a little more sophisticated. A little yeah. more sophisticated. And that got me into it. And then that led into Hero Quest at some point. Right. Um, and then, but the big, big one was when I found at the public library in Dundas, I found a book called, I think it's called Kender or Gully Dwarves, Halflings and Kender or something. It was from, it was a Dragonlance Tales book. And I read that. And then I was showing it to a friend at school and he's like, yeah, that's from Dragonlance. It's Dungeons and Dragons. You should come play with me sometime. And then I went and played a Dragonlance game with him and I was like, yeah, since then I've been going ever since. So that was yeah, that's like grade grade six, maybe. Wow. So grade six, seven, something like that. Yeah. See, now I have very fond memories. Um, yeah. So, so fighting fantasy, if you don't know, are like a series of books uh, by Steve Jackson and even Livingston. Yep. Um, but yeah, they they are they basically one step up from uh, choose own adventures. And yeah, when you mentioned grade six, yeah, I remember in at that era, I was really into choose your own adventure. And that's definitely when I discovered the basic set of D and D, but I didn't have anyone to play with. So it was definitely like, you know, where it started for me was the actual choose your own adventures first. For sure. Um, um, but yeah, the difference with fighting fantasy books uh, for, for those who don't know is uh, they have the added mechanic of actually needing to roll dice and keep track of things. So, so unlike just a straight, you know, turn to page, whatever, you sometimes have to do something. So yeah, you need, it's you really more interactive. Need, you need to have a book and a piece of paper and a pencil yeah. and you can kind of do it with that. But uh, one of the main cities in my campaign world for D&D is actually called Port Blacksand, which is stolen. Oh, nice! From fighting fantasy, it was they had a big book called Black Sand, and yeah, so I oh, totally that's awesome. That. Um, so Mark actually mentioned this earlier about uh, you know sitting down and actually role playing with people, but I wanted to put it out to our group um, because RPGs as a term, role playing games, is something that is synonymous with video games now. It's uh, you know a category of video games now. Um, Eric, what would you say are the benefits of playing with real people over video game RPGs? Like, what would you say are like the main differences and you know things that you like more or less? 
the the fun thing about playing with your friends is that you get to play off them and you get to right, go yeah. around with them. And it, it's easier to play off of people's like like we I remember when we were planning our D D group online and we were debating between audio versus visual, right? Mm-hmm. Us seeing each other, at least in the last two times we played has been way more beneficial than just us listening to each other and playing because we can see each other we can react and um you can't really do that in a in a video game as much as we like we play online with other people you can't really play off them as well as you can with someone right there in front of you yeah Plus, you can throw crap at them right when you're playing in the same room yeah of course dice, right yeah yeah no there's 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 quite a lot of um time wasting involved with the <laughs> physical role playing but and it's they, good it's, it's good. fun it's like it's it's a communal thing you get to sit there yeah. you get to have drinks you get to eat food if you're doing it in person um or you can eat by yourself in your basement with your webcam same thing you know <laughs> yeah yeah for sure no i um i definitely think uh uh it, there isn't quite there isn't another experience quite like it because i'd say like i think with video game rpgs you know because they're designed to like you know be this thing where you interact and you make choices and you can like you know open up lines of dialogue um you know the best ones obviously have a lot of branches but like mm. i kind of hinted at earlier when you're playing with a group of people you can't predict what any one person is going to do and um it, it can just create situations that nobody would ever you know wouldn't be able to chart out mm. you know so it, it, yeah it's it's a fun shared um experience right like yeah. if you watch stranger things and you see those kids go through their game just mm. in the first episode like that is exactly how you feel while playing dungeons and dragons right it's something unexpected things happen um, even for the DMs, especially for the DMs, if you do something you don't expect, you're just like, okay, well, I guess we're going to go off somewhere else that I didn't expect. And it's, it's so random and so fun. Yeah. It's something that you don't really get from playing like board games or playing or doing puzzles or even any video game. Right. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. I mean, maybe co-op board games, but then it's still, you're really restricted by the rules of that particular scenario of what you're playing. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know, like David, Mark, do you guys want to add anything about like, yeah, sort of the, I think the magic games? of a role playing game comes from basically what Eric was saying, but like Eric may come up with an idea and then Steve sees where Eric's going and brings it somewhere else. And then David will kick in his own little bit to that. And it just escalates and it goes into a completely different dimension than if you're just playing a game by yourself, like even an RPG on your PlayStation or the computer or whatever, you're, you sort of get assigned your role and Mm -hmm. there's not really any growth that you put into that. It kind of tells you what the, your growth options are. Whereas in a role playing game, I feel like your growth occurs not necessarily just because of you and the game setting, but also because of what your friends are doing as well. So there's added input into where a character ends up. And I think that's where all the magic happens is yeah. the growth between a party of people. Going yeah. Between the humans, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that human quality. Definitely. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, David. Yeah. I definitely say that um, <clears throat> like if you wanted to play a solo RPG, uh, just write a book, mm-hmm. right? Like, like if you be like, Oh, I have a great idea for like an adventuring party. 
and what they should do and how they should combat things, sure. well, then you should write a book <laughs> because that's what you're doing. But if you want to sit down and play with your friends and do the same sort of thing, but you want their ideas, that's an RPG. That's a game, yeah. right? That's that's collective storytelling. And that's what's great about it because I can write a book. It might be pretty good. might be pretty bad. But if I write a book with my friends, it's definitely going to be different than if I did it alone. And uh, you'll definitely get different ideas. And quite often, people have different skills than you and they have different knowledge than you. And that's what makes it fun and interesting because, you know, you might get players who go, I want to, I want to bash the door down. And somebody goes, whoa, whoa, well, what if we just, what if we climb up the building or what, you know, why don't we pick the lock or something? Um, which you, which you get with different characters, but then somebody else might come along and go, well, why don't we try this crazy thing? And they go, well, wait, can we do that? And it's like, well, yeah, we can, because it's, it's not a video game. It's, you know, it's in our minds so we can attempt to do whatever we like. And nobody else had that idea. You'll, you'll almost always per session per game you play, you'll have somebody come up with an idea that yeah. nobody else thought of. And they, they could be the quietest one at the table 90% of the yeah. time. And they think, well, I never have any good ideas. It's like, wait, wait a minute, but you thought of that thing. And that was totally awesome. That happens a lot. And that's one of the reasons you see those kids in Stranger Things having so much mm. fun. Because that's the moment when everybody goes, oh, yeah. that, I wouldn't even think of that. That was such a great idea. Like, it worked so well. And, you know, whatever. Or, or it fails spectacularly. And it's just as good as a yeah. story. Yeah. Right? Like, that's, and that's the thing. When you come away from playing good games of D&D, or even bad games sometimes, you stop going, we, you know, like my character did this. You go, I did this and we did yeah. this. And because it's the same part of your brain recording these memories as if you were actually doing them. So if you go out and climb a mountain, you're like, wow, that's great. I climbed a mountain. And if you sit down and play a game with D&D &D with your friends, you don't go, well, you know, Brom the fighter killed six orcs. You go, no, no, I killed six orcs. Uh, Steve killed four. Uh, Andrew got the mage. Like you, you start thinking about it like you and your friends actually did these things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it feels, it feels as good as if you actually did them, which... You know, that's why we do it. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. No, I, I actually, I want to emphasize for our listeners who uh, haven't done any role-playing games and who might be kind of wondering like, oh, wow, this all sounds like a lot to take in. I mean, one of the things I, I like to tell uh, new players is there isn't one particular way to play, right? I mean, you don't have to be focused on the numbers or the systems. And if you don't like putting on voices, don't worry about it, you know? A lot of it is really just the gelling of everyone at the table and just like everyone relaxing and just, you know, enjoying the story and adding where they can, you know? And that's, that's you know, like what David said. I mean, there are things that the quietest people contribute that, um, you know, those who are all focused on the numbers or the, you know, the acting might have completely missed and and it just creates like the best moments absolutely yeah for sure it's the unpredictability of it too is a key element like when you when you're writing a book you sort of come up with an idea in your mind and you've pretty much decided what the course of action is going to be before you even really approach it yeah that never happens in role-playing games yeah like, yeah for I, sure <laughs> i played the three guys i'm playing my current campaign with i the I've known for at least 20 years each. One of them I've known oh, since wow. I was four. Another one I've known since uh, Jay or Spears, who's one of the kids. He, <laughs> but uh, I've known him since I was 14 or something. And like I can normally predict what these people are going to do in pretty much any situation in their life. Right, yeah. Except role playing. <laughs> <laughs> 
you you sort of go, no, he's likely to do this. He's likely to do this. He's likely to do this. And inevitably they do option Q, which comes out of left field that you never would have even considered. And that's what makes it fun for the DM because it's not just writing a story. Yes. You come up with an idea and then your friends come and destroy it in front of you and you try and figure out how to pick up the pieces and where to go. Yeah. I'm really tempted to ask you guys for some stories, but I feel like I should stick to my, my outline and we should talk about some of the unique there, settings. There are exist. less of us now. So yeah, but no, 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 we're definitely going to do the stories. I'm just trying to like, you know, I'm thinking maybe having some of these settings explained will help inform some of the stories that we're going to tell. Um, but uh, yeah, the, that uh, one of the things I want to point out is uh, when you do have a group of people, uh, some weird, sometimes weird things will happen um, because you got different people who understand information in, in different ways, you know. So some of, some of the funniest stories are misinterpretations of of you know what's actually you know supposedly happening. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna step aside from that for a moment and uh, and say that uh, uh, so Dungeons and Dragons has been around since the 70s. Um, the original game was in 74, right? I think, um, but. Regardless, it's gone through many different iterations. And what's funny is um, most people would say that Lord of the Rings is sort of the originator of the fantasy setting, you know, with wizards and orcs and those sorts of things. And it's definitely, I would say, the grandfather of modern fantasy. But when most people think of fantasy things, I do think they are actually thinking of Dungeons and Dragons, whether they know it or not. Because, you know, wizards in Lord of the Rings are actually pretty weak, you know, when you get right down to it. Like, they don't do that much. Like, they're Im- impossibly powerful beings, but when you think of wizards, like, shooting lightning and fireballs and just doing all this stuff, like, nonstop, that's actually more of a thing that came from Dungeons & Dragons than, you know, like, Lord of the Rings. I don't know. I mean, you guys can, like, you know, agree, uh, you know, or disagree, but, uh, I mean, go for it. I, I feel like there's some dis- there's some dissent here. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's weird. Like the wizards in Lord of the Rings don't really get a chance to use their powers. They're not really supposed to be part of the. Sure, world, right? they're different. Yeah, yeah. they're like a, they're like they're another sort of like, order of being. Yeah, they're sort of like angels. They're angels. They're demigods. Yeah, they're, yeah. yeah they're yeah. not. So it, I I don't know. If, yeah. Okay. Okay. Really okay. Well, that's getting into some. Lo- okay, that's getting <laughs> into some semantics. Yeah. Yeah. Some yeah. semantics. I know. Okay. I'm 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 I shouldn't be picking on the wizards. Okay. But but you understand what I'm saying though, right? Like yeah. when people think of a wizard, they think of somebody who's like running around doing more low level stuff, right? The wizards in Lord of the Rings are like, like you said, they're angels. They're like beings that exist on another order, but they're not. They're not really like when people think of adventuring parties if you actually sat down and like took what people do in Dungeons and Dragons and compare it to like, you know, a lot of things that happen in Lord of the Rings, um, it, it's not, it's not an exact comparison, right? Like there, there's been an evolution and I think Dungeons and Dragons contributed, you know, to the fantasy paradigm to a great degree. I think, I think what people think of when they think of RPG wizards is either a lightning bolt, lightning right. bolt, sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Like that video, or they think of Merlin from like the sword in the stone. Sure. Because because that's a it's a very a very Western outlook and D and but D and D is also a very Western yeah. game, um, <clears throat> so I think those are probably the two bigger contributors than like because I don't think people think of Gandalf as a wizard, even after the movies people just think of Gandalf as Gandalf. Yeah, people don't associate necessarily the word wizard with him in popular culture. They just think oh it's Ian. McKellen. Fair enough. 
Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. And, and, and uh, you know, as I just slipped up on Lord of the Rings, there are some very specific definitions in Dungeons and Dragons, which I think we'll use as a segue to get into some of the settings. Because in the decades since the game has been around, there have actually been unique uh, settings uh, with their own histories, uh, geography, uh, and personalities, uh, which lend a unique flavor to um, a typical Dungeons and Dragons game, because it's not always just about you know the the orcs and the wizards and the elves. There's actually like politics and histories involved, and so I thought um, you know we would uh, just touch on uh, a handful of these. Um, so uh, how about David? Would you like to drop us into the Forgotten Realms, if you? Sure, the Forgotten Realms. Um is one of the earliest, but not not even close to the first uh, Dungeons & Dragons setting. It started pre-Dungeons & Dragons as Ed Greenwood, uh, who, like, he created the Forgotten Realms. He's, a, he's also a Canadian, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, as, like, his own, like, playground in his mind as a kid. Like, this started when he was super young. And one day, I don't know how old he was, and I, I think he was, like, 78 something like that. He sold like a big book essentially to TSR who owned D and D at the time. And they were like, cool. Like, cause they wanted a home setting. They wanted like the yeah. setting for Dungeons and Dragons to put in all the books. Um, yes, unified. And they hadn't really landed on that yet. Yeah. Just to, just to make everything like streamlined, yeah, I guess. Stability. You know? And that he could just feed them information and they would go, they went back and forth and they talked about stuff and it's uh it's like a high medieval fantasy, like high magic, uh, like all, not quite Renaissance level technology. Like there's no firearms really. Uh, and like, it's neat. Like it's neat. There's tons and tons of books, probably mostly popularized by Ari Salvatore through the Dritz Duerden and stuff. Um, but there's plenty of authors who have written excellent novels within that world. And it's been on and off the, the main setting for D&D uh, since since it was introduced into the line of D&D products and it's the current, uh, what's the word? I'm like, core, like home. Yeah. yeah core, uh, world for, uh, D&D for fifth edition. And although they've done like other worlds, forgotten realms, is probably still their most popular. They definitely get requested for other ones. Um, but it's definitely the most popular. Um, and I don't even know, yeah, where to begin I know on the history of, you know, like, like Ed Greenwood did such a good job of like, it's, you know, it starts with this, just like every, uh, you know, religion or spirituality in the world has like a origin story of the universe and the world that we live on and the deities and demigods and the peoples who live there. It's got all that, right. It's got gods for everything, sort of like the Greek or North pantheon where it's, oh, there's a God of war and there's a God of water and you know, earth and the hearth and stuff like that and farming and civilization and time. And the neat, one of the coolest things about it maybe is that since it was introduced with every edition, because they have novels, it changes. It hasn't been static. It hasn't been the same for the last almost 50 years. It's, uh, it's really shifted a lot for better or for worse. Some people like it. Some people hate it. Um, and more or less now with fifth edition, it's kind of back to the way it was in second edition. But for the game world, 200 years have passed. And in those 200 years, you've got, you know, like I said, novels, but also people's, like, people have been playing this whole time. Yeah. And for some people, they, they've been playing for those 200 years in game and they, they can still have characters and stuff. And it's really neat. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know what else to describe. No, that's great. No, that that's a great summary of it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, um, Mark, is there is there a feature of Forgotten Realms that stands out for you personally? Oh, Forgotten Realms has got to be depth. I mean, David mentioned there's panthe. There's not one pantheon. There's like nine pantheons or something like that in the Forgotten Realms, and this is all stuff that Greenwood. I mean, over on my shelf back there, there is three or four books just on Forgotten Realms deity. Yeah, yeah. That's not including monsters or cities or areas. Um, m- most of the good um, mass, like adventure products, the best ones are either Forgotten Realms, Place- Planescape, or Greyhawk. And most of them are Forgotten Realms. It's places like Mithranor, and there's Evermeet. There's... Oh, right. It's just the most detailed setting ever. Yeah, yeah. It's probably, it's not my favorite setting, but it's the one I have the most information. Yes, yeah. Which is kind of telling, like, just the volume is incredible. Yeah, I I mean, I, um, I mean, even with the religions, it's not even just that there are multiple pantheons, there's, there's cycles you know, of things that even have even evolved in the religions because there's been God wars, you know, and some of the gods that started at the beginning of the story are gone and some of them have come back. And then there was even ones that were forgotten, you know, so it's, it's just an amazing array uh, just on that level. But um, I will, I will mention that the forgotten realms um, really do refer to a, a vast series of countries and, you know, and, and small places. And, and, and in fact, you may already uh, have encountered them without knowing uh, the game Baldur's Gate, um, the game Icewind Dale, uh, Neverwinter's in Forgotten Realms, right? These are all video games uh, and other franchises that have been spun off of, but they are actually part of the realms. So um, it's a very widespread setting that, uh, you know, is, is, uh, is just, yeah, the depth is amazing. Um, so I don't know. I, I, does anyone else want to add anything more? I mean, that was a great summary, though. I mean, it's so hard to <laughs> encapsulate something so vast and so long. Um, I, I will add one more thing. Uh, some of the heroes that Ed Greenwood came up with, uh, it's not just gods or places. He has, he has some main characters, too. And those guys, yeah, oh, I yeah. Mean, you know. Elminster the being the big one. That's like that's like him. Like if you go on Twitter, like people refer to Ed guitar. Greenwood as Elminster. <laughs> yeah. This, you know, wizened old sage. Um, and like there are books written in uh, like Elminster's point of view, there are books about Elminster, but there are also like the lore books Mark was talking about. Some of them are written as if by Elminster. Right. Uh, there's also Volo. He's supposed to, he's sort of like the uh, adventurer, like, but like scaredy cat adventurer. Uh, yeah. So he, like, he writes about different places. Um, yeah. Volo's guides. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Volo's guides. Yeah. One of the best examples I can think of, of depth for the forgotten realms. I have a book. That's called Aurora's Whole Realms Catalog. Mm, that's a good one. And it's literally Aurora is a wizard who has like she's like the seers of the Forgotten Realms, <laughs> and she will teleport goods anywhere around the realm. <laughs> but they actually came out with a catalog. <laughs> it's Sky Mall. It's, it's yeah. It's got all these like witty like descriptions of items and stuff. I never really used it in game, but it's just fun to read and. Like who comes up with a Sears catalog <laughs> for their, it's just that kind of level of depth and entertainment. And the Forgotten Realms products are all really well written. Yes. Well. That's a lot of times you'll find 
other RPGs. I won't mention any rifts that some of the books are not very sure. Readable. Sure. That's fair. They're great settings and they're well put together, but they're not written by writers. Yes. These are clearly written by people who like to write. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Yeah, no, it has had that support, which I think has definitely elevated it further. Um, well, if there's anything else more about Forgotten Realms, I guess I'll move on to our next setting, which is uh, Dragonlance. Now, I actually don't know much about Dragonlance as a setting, but speaking of novels, I remember the novels like being all over the place when I was growing up and people loving the books, you know. So, uh, Mark, can you take us to... All right. I'm not the right person for this. The right person for this is Spears. Oh, Unabashedly Spears is the Dragonlance King, but I do love the setting as the first setting I ever played in and the first D&D setting I ever read in. Um, So Dragonlance is set on the world Kryn. Um, The primary setting, which was first and second edition, but it, it came in the fourth age, I think, after a giant cataclysm. So the world had been basically destroyed by a giant mountain being thrown into the biggest city by the gods because people were terrible. So uh, the economy's all gold is basically worthless. Everybody uses steel as currency instead of gold and copper and silver, which was the normal currencies in most right. settings. Um, there's gods, goddesses, etc. Mag- uh, magic, the big thing about the Dragonlance is that magic is controlled by three separate gods. Okay. That are also the moons. Uh, Solanari, good. Lunatari, neutral. And Nuatari is the evil one. Now, it makes magic hard to use. So you have restrictions and the phases of the moons affect how well your magic works. Wow. So playing a wizard on Kryn is a lot of bookkeeping, <laughs> which can be really painful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's fantastic setting. They, they have all the normal fantasy races, elves, halfling, or well, their halflings are different. Yes. Uh, dwarves and gnomes. Their gnomes are also different. They have, so their gnomes are tinker gnomes. Yeah. They like to design little objects that usually explode. <laughs> and then they have their halflings instead of normal, like Frodo halflings. Right. They're actually a, a race called the Kinder, Yeah, they're skinnier, right? Who they're skinnier, but they're basically all childlike kleptomaniacs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're constantly finding other people's equipment in their packs, not knowing they're not they're not evil or cruel about it or anything. It's just their curiosity unbound. Yes. They love that they have this thing called Wanderlust where Kender will you know, they hit the age of equivalent of human 14 or whatever, and they just leave. <laughs> and they go tour around this world that's been destroyed by a giant mountain being thrown onto one of its largest cities and little kids running around. And it makes for entertaining storytelling. <laughs> um, it, really, it really came to light. This setting came to light in the books, The Chronicles by Tracy Hickman and Margaret White. Right. And it's the story of a group... Uh, two brothers, Caraman and Raceland. Raceland's probably one of the most interesting fantasy characters you will ever read yes. about. Um, Tannis, a kender named Tasselhoff Burfoot, a dwarf, I'm forgetting some, Goldmoon and Riverwind. 
there's more that I'm missing. Yeah, there's so many, but I mean, so that's many. but they sorry, go ahead. they were fantastic books. Yeah, that's that's all I remember are the covers because I actually didn't read those books, but even I know you know these names that you're mentioning just because they were such prolific you know main characters of this setting, and and I do find it funny how like yeah, I mean they've got a lot of the similar elements of other well other D D settings, but there's just that little bit of a tweak you know that 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 gives it a bit of flavor. A little bit of a tweak. It caused the setting problems, though, because something like the Forgotten Realms is ridiculously accessible. Right. You you can be a level one character or whatever, and you don't have to do a lot of legwork to play. Mm. So the downside with Dragonlance is there's legwork. Like, you have to really be plotting what phase of the moon you're in. <laughs> can I cast spell today at all? Can I... You know, all those sorts of things. And I think it took a lot of interest away from it. But it was still a big setting. And in in all honesty, most of the famous fantasy art you see, a lot of it is Larry Elmore's yep. art that was actually done for Dragonlance. So a lot of the high D&D art you will see is actually Dragonlance. Yeah, it's true. But for a relatively small setting, they didn't have that many comparative to the Forgotten Realms or Dark Sun or something. There wasn't that many actual products. So, but fantastic setting, amazing to read in, fun to play in, but challenging. Is it still uh, ongoing? Because Forgotten Realms is still going, but I don't know what happened with uh, um, Dragonlance. So Dragonlance had, I can't remember what year it was, but um, Dragonlance had, sorry, not Dragonlance, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman had a falling out with TSR. Mm. Um, so that would have been back in the early 90s, yeah. mid 90s. And they stopped working for them for a while, which was a big bummer for TSR because Tracy Hickman started Dragonlance. He also wrote the first Ravenloft oh, wow. uh, module. So he's he's very, very involved in a lot of their product. Hmm. But um, so there was a dispute there. And then when Wizards of the Coast bought TSR, they got back in touch with the Dragonlance people and started up a company called Sovereign Press, okay. I think it was called, something like that. And they kind of brought, tried to bring back Dragonlance, and they set up this thing called the Fifth Age, which ended up coming out in like this weird card role-playing game hybrid, which was pretty terrible, if I'm honest. <laughs> and um, it just kind of petered out, and right now it's not in production or anything like that, although you hear the occasional... Huh news snippet and so forth but as far as i know at this point there is no Dragonlance going on okay right now, which is a bit of a tragedy. yeah i was kind of curious um i'm trying to think of how anyone else would stumble across Dragonlance now uh, other than you know those books from way back when and there is actually a uh, from what i hear a really terrible uh, animated movie uh yeah Keith or Sutherland, Lucy Lawless, Michael Rosenbaum, yes, with uh, and Sutherland. Trackenberg. I mean it, it yes. should be awesome but apparently not <laughs> well <laughs> I was I really hoping to mention I have that, it on DVD somewhere. I've never actually I got it for a dollar twenty-five at a store, and I thought I'd. Pick I it may up. have paid two dollars uh, for it, so I may have been ripped off. It it, it should. It, <laughs> I think it's it should be pretty telling. We don't we don't that endorse that. They made Dragons <laughs> of Autumn Twilight, which was the first of the Chronicles novels, right. into a film. They did not make Dragons of Winter Night, which was yeah. the second of the Chronicles novel. So <laughs> it never got past the first one. Oh, man. 
If you want to watch a D&D movie, watch Wrath of the D- Dungeons and Dragons 2, Wrath of the Dragon God. Watch it once and then watch it again with the commentary. I, and yeah, the commentary it's, makes it's the best that movie one, good. I guess. Okay, out, out, of, out of everybody. It's worth it. It's worth it. Who it's worth actually, it. It's so good. Who watched, did we all watch the first Dungeons and yes, Dragons movie? Yes, in the theater. Uh, yeah, it's wonderful. Yes. Let the blood is rain it, from the sky. Oh yeah, with Jeremy Irons. Heck yeah! <laughs> is it not fun yeah. watching Jeremy Irons yep. going? At least I'm getting paid. <laughs> yes, it is. That's totally. Yeah, it's true. I mean, that was Which the only reason to watch that? that movie was Jeremy Irons. Damon Marlin. I forgot. I Marlin. Marlin. Uh, Damon. That was Marley. It was yeah. Marlin. Yeah, you're right. You're, Mar- <laughs> yeah. you're right. And the he guy has one of the best on screen. No, in history though, I will give him that. That's that's what I would, I would love to know how you take one of the most intimidating monsters in fantasy history, i.e., a beholder, and have it float around okay. like it's on bad drugs for two minutes, and that's the entire. We're, we're, we're going a little bit off topic here, but I I do you know because you know the you know it's bad movies and that's my kind of thing. Um, the history of the making of the movie is better than the movie because the guy who tried to make this movie, he worked on that for 10 years to get that to happen. So I feel really bad, you know, that it turned out the way that it did, but it was something that it was like, he just couldn't get the funding. And of course there was all the controversies with the game and then people wouldn't believe in the project and it got rewritten. And it's just, it's just a really funny story. So that's, that's a story for another time. And, um, Actually, I mean, I, I'll just just ask this question. That movie, though, does it actually take place in any known setting? Or I thought they made a box set just for that setting, but I've never been able to find it. I don't know if I imagined not, it or what. Not that I know of. It yeah. used a lot of names and elements from stuff. Yeah, yeah. But like, like, because in the second one, it's the Dragon Falazure, which is Dragonlance, I think. Uh, maybe. He's, and maybe. he's like, he's technically in Forgotten Realms because a lot of stuff was pushed over. Yeah. But... It none of it's all very like setting agnostic. It's just like oh, it's yeah. the Empress of where? Who knows? The Orb of Dragon Kind. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, that's a classic D and D item. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it was it was it was D and D referenced the movie, but it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess one last thing. Uh, I remember there was a D and D cartoon, and it had um, War Duke in it. Yeah. And Tiamat. Now, are these elements of Dragonlance, or am I mixing things up in my head now? I don't even know. Okay. Tiamat's complicated. <laughs> Tiamat is one of what... She's technically not in Dragonlance until she is. <laughs> Tiamat is what you would call one of the universal deities. So oh, she's, okay. She technically exists in the Forgotten Realms. She technically does exist in Dragonlance, but there's a different version of her that's not her but is called Takesis. Well, they've said Takesis and Tiamat are not the same and that was it. (laughs) They never said anything else. So people are like, well, is Tiamat in Dragonlance? Like, are they twin goddesses? There's been no official answer. It's just that they both are names. Oh, goodness. Okay. (laughs) They both have similar names. They both look exactly the same and behave exactly the same. Although, isn't one chaotic evil and one Well, that's the thing is that technically in Forgotten Realms... Tiamat is both chaotic evil and lawful evil. Takesis is just chaotic yeah. evil. So, uh, I think I'll jump in at this point <laughs> and start my my arduous task of trying to uh, summarize uh, Planescape, which uh, uh, I'm sure uh, Mark and David will be able to jump in and, and, and correct me on a few things. Um, so, I decided to include Planescape because um, Dragonlance and Forgotten Realms are, are, are sort of your typical 
in some ways, uh, but unique in their own uh, fantasy settings, you know, with like, you know, societies and, and, and castles and knights and goblins and whatnot. Uh, Planescape was a very interesting setting uh, just for variety's sake. I wanted to include it, uh, which I would say is a, a very um, metaphysical and very kind of... Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I We'll see if I can even get through it. Basically, uh, in order for me to even start on this, uh, we've been using some terms, uh, alignments, uh, and uh, that is, uh, these are like personality or moral sort of uh, descriptors uh, that, uh, you know, can uh, allow, you, you know, different things in the game. But basically, there's good and evil, and then there's uh, scales of whether or not you um, believe in law or don't believe in law and order. And, veer more towards chaotic behavior. And this creates a pattern of, of nine things which are called the alignments. So for instance, lawful good, chaotic evil, neutral evil, just different combinations of these words. Um, and then I also need to add in that uh, there was a book a long time ago called The Manual of the Plains, which tried to kind of explain how the cosmology of Dungeons and Dragons works. And over time, um, it got more and more complicated. And then finally in 1994, uh, Dave, is it David Cook? Um, yes, David Cook uh, created Planescape, which is sort of the ultimate evolution of his explanation for how um, space and reality and the fundamental building blocks of everything uh, work. Uh, so, I don't even know. I don't even know how to start this. <laughs> Basically, uh, <laughs> the way they wanted, the way they fit in all these other settings, like Dragonlance, like Forgotten Realms, is they exist in something called the Prime Material Plane. So all the settings actually exist parallel to each other in the real universe. Let's just just call it that for the sake of you know simplicity. And then uh, there exists uh, above and below this plane of reality um, the inner planes and the outer planes. Uh, and this was their explanation for where certain creatures um, and certain concepts even are derived from in their purest form. Um, so, uh, for instance, the inner planes, again, for simplicity's sake, <laughs> is where the elements originate from, okay, to some degree. So there's a, a plane of fire, a plane of air, earth, water, and then there's other things which I'm not going to get into, okay, but combinations of those things, all right? But for instance, like in in Dungeons and Dragons, like a lot of characters can summon creatures. So like maybe a fire elemental, well, the fire elemental has to come from somewhere. He, it will come from the elemental plane of fire in the inner planes. All right. And then on the opposite end of the metaphysical philosophical mind explosion was the outer planes, which I like this. This is where you guys can correct me. I like to think of them as the sort of the quintessential, uh, building blocks of the alignments. So where there is neutral evil, there is a whole plane dedicated to the concepts and the tenets of that particular approach to existence, such that there, uh, there are creatures that are wholly constructed from this and also some, similarly can be summoned you know, by uh, uh, spells, but they actually have a place that they live and do stuff. You know? <laughs> and so the... Um, the Outer Plains is primarily where uh, uh, Planescape adventures um, take place, but the, the, the colorfulness of it, the uniqueness of it is just something like, there isn't anything quite like it because it's, like I said, it's metaphysical, it's, it's philosophical, and it's, it's these sorts of ideas, like given entire worlds of their own, all part of this massive thing called the Great Wheel, this, this conjunction of where 
ideas have planes of existence and where they all converge ultimately in a central city called um, Sigil, the city of doors, which is just this uh, incredibly crazy cosmopolitan place with pathways to everywhere. And I don't even know, I don't even know what to say anymore. I think I've kind of, uh, uh, kind of gone overboard already. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say because it's just, it has its own unique language. And also, um, uh, Mark mentioned how Larry Elmore's art greatly drove, um, Dragonlance, uh, the art of, um, Tony DiTolerzi, uh, largely created the, um, the very whimsical and I don't know, fey feel of, um, of Planescape. Um, and, uh, yeah, just the depth of all the places that you can go and all the very unique ideas and the collision of mythologies, really, because pretty much like there's Mount Olympus, there's, you know, the river sticks, there's a Chinese bureaucracy, you know, in, in, in a plane that controls like the, the management of, uh, processing of, of reincarnation, like they've worked everything in somehow. And it's just amazing. And there's so many weird, unique things because of the, the purity of the alignment application. Oh, and it's also where the gods live, by the way, too. Various gods, they, they have uh, houses in some of these places. So, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut up now. Uh, <laughs> Mark, uh, Dave, is there anything you would like to highlight about Planescape or that I completely screwed up in my explanation? Uh, I don't know if you screwed anything up. Uh, what I would say is that Planescape and Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance and Eberron and uh, Greyhawk they all get to exist because Wizards of the Coast owns all these things and they want people to like them and know about them and people want them to interact with each other in some ways. Uh, so they're allowed to exist in the same universe uh, in the way that we think of like Rick and Morty has a multiverse, multiple dimensions sure. and stuff like that. So parts of Forgotten Realms, like like there's a, there's a world called Toral, which is like the planet they live on and then they have like a solar system and all this stuff. And if you go outside of that solar system, you can go to different places because their solar system isn't like, they don't think of it like our universe where you just keep going and going and going and then you can go to, you know, the next, gal the next star system over, then the next galaxy. It's, it's a self-contained apparatus, almost like if you look at uh, an astrolabe, like at the opening scene of uh, uh, Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. so if you can you can leave that dimension and go to another dimension you can go to dragonlance you can go to blah 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 and what the these other planes of existence are these upper planes lower planes and the elemental planes they're almost i'd like to think of them as like plato's world of forms oh, uh, yeah. plato had this whole thing where it was like oh somewhere out there there's like the perfect chair it doesn't it's not a physical object but every time you make a chair you're taking some aspect of the metaphysical idea of a chair and you're making a chair. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing when you summon fire with magic is you're taking the idea of fire from the elemental plane of fire and you're bringing it here. And it's, it's not perfect because the perfect fire only exists metaphysically in that idea. But the thing is you can go to that idea. You can yes. go to where that idea lives. And there's the idea of law and chaos and good and evil demons and devils and angels and archons and you know like there are perfectly lawful beings that are like computer men called modrons and yes. there are super chaotic <laughs> beings called slotty and there are perfectly evil beings in demons and, and there are perfectly good beings and angels and stuff so you get to take all this cool mythology that involves gods and demons and you can take it from greek mythology and norse mythology and make it all up yourself and slam it all together and you get the outer planes the inner planes and 
They're all the named prime after, yeah, the prime material. The prime material is what we like, you know, earth, the earth we live on, the way we think of it would be a prime material plane where we, we have physics and there's an up and down and there's gravity. And then you go to, if, if, if you could physically transport yourself to Faerun to, to Toral, the planet that Forgotten Realms exist in, you would still be you and it would still function in all the same ways it would function, but just their magic is real. Um, nice. No, yeah. well, that's great. No, I, you, I think you, yeah, you cleared up a lot of my mess there. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I try, I try real hard. <laughs> I think one of the interesting things about the planes is it brings up as, or sorry, planescape. It brings up as many questions as it answers, probably brings up more questions than the answers. Yes. Yeah. Insofar as one of the great questions of it is, so did all of the prime material worlds, do they exist because of the plane or do the planes exist as manifestations of I, of the ideas sure. created on those prime material worlds, which is right. Like the deities all exist because of belief. Yeah. Right. So which way does it go? The, you end up with all of these questions and the fun part is exploring all of these questions without actually ever really answering anything. Yeah. Yeah. But you get to create this fantastic experience within those questions. Yeah. I, I, I was a philosophy major when I discovered this particular setting and I went nuts and I got all of it. And even now I can't explain it properly, but I think that you guys have helped me (laughs) nail it down for other people. Yeah, absolutely. Like I actually, to be honest, I've never actually played a game in Planescape. I just have all the books because I don't even know how an adventure would exactly play out. I just like reading about all the craziness that's going on. There is a video game called Planescape Torment. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it takes good, place entirely within yep. Sigil, which is supposed to be the city, the city at the center of the universe. So, if you haven't played that, there's the enhanced yep. edition on Steam and Twitch or Switch and stuff like that. So, like, yeah, if you yeah. if you like that stuff, get into it because it's really good. It's yeah, it, it handles it very narratives. well. Yeah, it handles it very well, especially for like dropping somebody into that setting. And uh, I felt like, as a you know, a super fan of Planescape, I felt it did it justice for sure. I played. I've run Planescape campaigns a few times. So if I get one going at some point, Steve, I'll give you a call. Oh, I'm so there for sure. Cause it is, it is the, the best role-playing experience there is as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> okay. It involves everything. Yeah. Like, if you're like, Hey man, let's go visit Drizzt. You can go visit Drizzt. No problem. Whatever. Well, okay. So problem, but, <laughs> but it's doable. The problems yeah. are, surmountable you can accomplish anything and the books are also as well written as the forgotten realms books are the planescape mm. books are even better they're just hmm. have you well you have uh the plane walkers handbook yeah that is an amazing game i love yeah, yeah. that book that is yeah my mind's like beaten to death but yeah yeah i think i've got a couple actually just in case <laughs> people should know too that you don't have to read tomes of information to learn all this stuff either because no. there's tons of youtube videos about this stuff from official D sources and from people who love it as much as we do um, mm-hmm. taking the time to go hey you know what i would like to share how this works and you can find everything you could possibly imagine basically out there talking about all of the things we've already talked about and more and yeah. deeper and like and deeper and then you can go pick up a book and learn even more. like it's 
it's infinitely deep. There, yeah, they've done a really good. Oh, sorry, go ahead, there's Mark. a website for Planescape specifically called um, the Mimir. I think it's Mimir.net or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's fantastic just for trying to trying to get your brain around it a little bit. I haven't looked at it in ages. I think it's still up. Hold it's on. still up. I just went to it. It's still there. Wow. So well, it's, it's one of those actually for uh, Forgotten Realms. It's still up. Wow. Yeah, man. That's yeah. awesome. I was no, that's, the other that's the love of fans. That's that's what it is. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, actually, we should probably mention that technically, I guess, Planescape is defunct, whereas Forgotten Realms mm. is probably the only one of the three that it's I think definitely is definitely not. They keep talking about it. People, no. the people want it. It's being worked into the core books as well. Yeah, Sigil yeah. exists. If you play it Forgotten exist, Realms, yeah. it, it, they mention it. Like they mention the yeah. outer the planes. Thing, so the deities in Forgotten Realms, like in the core book, they're not all Forgotten Realms gods. It's true. A lot of them. Some are of them are Norse some gods. Are, some of them are Norse. There's yeah. There's some mix. Um, Vecna's in there, and he's a Greyhawk deity originally. So, yeah, it all it all gets. I think he's up. only mentioned as a mortal for Forgotten Realms, though. I don't oh, know really? if he's actually a deity. Yeah. Either way, but it's <laughs> yeah. It's nerds so, are doing yeah. <laughs> okay, well, nerd I think I think I think those are three. I think those are three very different, uh, but uh, oh, you sure. know, interesting settings. Um, and uh, I guess uh, you know to bring Eric back in because he's been so quiet. Hmm? Um, I want to get to the fun part, uh, which is to ask about some silly stories we all have from role playing games. Uh, so by it's nature. Role-playing is kind of a communal storytelling, you know, experience as we've been saying. Um, and a lot of things uh, hinge on die rolls. Um, but also sometimes, like I mentioned before too, there's a little bit of a misinterpretation of things sometimes. Uh, but in, in any case, role-playing creates unexpected, hilarious, dramatic, and unforgettable stories. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to put it out to our uh, people this week. Uh, Eric, do you have like a, a funny role-playing story? Um, I'm trying to think of one. Uh, they the probably the funniest game I've ever played was actually not set in the fantasy realm. It was they sure. took the um, I can't remember which edition it was, but they set it in Hamilton in a modern day. Um, <laughs> thing. And it was sort of this. Um, there's there are fantasy elements, but it was mostly a zombie type game. Um, but the funny thing is, is that my DM kept on picking people that we knew. And putting him in the game. Oh no! So, so he would do their voices. Oh no! Which were very accurate. That could <laughs> end so badly. <laughs> it was. It but like, but we would, but it was like roommates that we didn't like and stuff like that. But it was really funny because we would just. It would be. <laughs> I don't know if I should talk about who was in it, <laughs> but there, there, there. there it was funny because we got to play off of our friends and then we would be like, well, I guess we're going to leave that person behind. And then we would tell that person in real life that we had to kill them. But and stuff like that, it was just it, the funny thing is, is taking that real situation and then just spinning it and making fun of all of our friends and making fun of ourselves at the, at the moment. Yeah. 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 Especially in the zombie type game, you can, <laughs> you can die, but you not really dead because you just end up coming back as a zombie that time. Wow, nice. Um, I I have a very short uh, uh, anecdote. Uh, it uh, didn't happen to me, but it's a story I've told uh, for uh, over twenty years now. Um, one of my friends uh, was playing in a high school game, and it was D and D. And the entire party uh, ended up in this uh, final treasure chamber, and the DM 
uh, then went into this extreme detail of like the elaborate fabrics and uh, the treasure chests and the furniture and the, the floor and the ceiling and just, just like just describing this room. So if you were to observe this scene, you would be like imagining all these characters just going like, oh, wow. And just like counting all the treasure, you know, as like they're just panning their eyes over the entire room. And then after going through all this incredible detail of like the actual layout and the, the, the items in the room, he ended with, oh, and by the way, there's a lich. And like, it just, <laughs> the whole party actually, like some of them apparently went like, what? Like they actually like jumped at that. But it's just like the most hilarious, like to me, like every time I think of describing things, it's like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta put certain things in a certain order sometimes, you know, like it, uh, you know, might not be the way you think of in your head, you know, but oh my God. Um, <laughs> uh, Mark, do you have a, a story? I do, but I have just decided that I need to run the Tomb of Horrors, and when I get to the end to Asirak, <laughs> I should be like, oh, there's a lich. <laughs> That's how I'm going to run it. So now I can't use that against my players. They already know. <laughs> so my my story that I actually asked Matt, who's not here tonight, if I could, it's from an old, actually a Forgotten Realm, or not Forgotten Realms, it was a Planescape game I was running back in. Oh, really? The very early 2000s. Matt had had problems with characters not surviving very much. So, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> he had, had a bad luck run. So, we, we built him this like paladin that should have been, he was, it was a high level campaign. So, we made this like beast of a paladin for him. And the first fight they get into is with these lower level demons. Um, they were I'm trying to think of the name of them. Low level Batizu. Abishai. It was like a mm. black Abishai or something, which I think are one of the weaker ones. Anyways, so he gets poisoned by its tail spike on the first attack roll he faces <laughs> and fails the saving throw and dies. Then the high-level cleric takes the time in the middle of battle to resurrect him, but the poison is still in his body. He needed to get a three or higher on a saving throw. Oh, no. To live. He rolled a two on the first one, and then crit failed the second one, and threw his character sheet across the room, grabbed his pack of cigarettes, and went outside. Because that's just... And everybody, like, everybody went out for smoke, and we're like, that's... He's like, I'm just not going to play the rest of the night. I'm going to come up with a new character. And I'm like, we understand. It was a rough night. And these things happen. They're entertaining. Um, yeah. That, that was one of the one of the worst character entrances I've ever seen in my entire Everybody's got one of those. Oh, yeah. It's Everybody. just amazing you remember the exact eye rolls too, right? I mean, well, that's, that's what makes it funny. I mean, at this point. We intentionally made the character so that it couldn't <laughs> die. And it died <laughs> twice on its first hit. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Uh, Steve, didn't it, you die on our first hit last game? No, uh, practically, die. almost. That was two hit die. points off. He didn't die. Oh, he you was passed just out. knocked out. You passed out. Yeah. yeah. If you yeah. play Dragon Age, your character gets rendered unconscious. You don't die immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, no, I almost. That was. There bad. are ways to die. I mean, if he if he yep. had one less hit point, he would have been dead, yep. dead. But he was yep. not because I criticaled him twice in one night. <laughs> yeah, that was. I was sad. It was surprising. Yeah, that was. We good. really should have harvested harvested that uh, slime first before going. Steve. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll talk about this in the next episode. I'm sure. Uh, David, do you have a, 
<laughs> story you want to share? Yeah, I think my favorite anecdote to tell is uh, when I was about thir- 12 or 13, I, I got to play with uh, one of my brothers and all their friends. So I'm, you know, these guys are probably nearly 20 and I'm like 12 or 13. And I looked at their party and they go, oh, they need, a, they don't have a rogue. Uh, and I, I like playing sneaky guys. So, you know, I make a half elf rogue, classic kind of sneaky guy, but I made him chaotic evil. <laughs> <laughs> which is <laughs> as evil as you could be. And I would just pickpocket everyone I could see. And if I could find somebody to murder, I would get away with it if I could. Um, <laughs> stabby, stabby. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, I was like, cool, I'll play whatever. And everyone's like, lawful good. We've got two dwarves in the party uh, who are like really good, hardy folk. And then my brother's playing a ranger. And one night, we got this big battle coming up against like a, a, a I don't know, probably 150 to 100 orcs. And we got to defend this town. And I'm going, guys, I'm sneaky. The ranger's sneaky. Why don't he and I just go over to the orcs and we'll just nip this thing in the bud while they're sleeping? They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I can totally just like, if he gets 25, I get 25. No problem. And that night we rolled and we proceeded to murder every single one of their orcs in their sleep. Oh my which God. Is awful. <laughs> but the thing is, there was no fight the next day. And, then the, and the, I like we, I think my brother made me roll because some people will have you roll, some people won't when you're doing PC interactions. But I convinced him to do it. And he was like a chaotic, good, you know, elf ranger. Oh my God. And he, everyone's like, this is pretty bad. Like, this is pretty evil. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm just doing it for the benefit. I'm like, stealing everybody's money. Like, no, 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 no. trying to avoid a stand up fight. This makes sense. And then we get into a couple more fights and they're like, no, 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 you're clearly evil. So I'm, <laughs> there's a moment where we're hunting a guy down and this bad guy we're fighting, he's actually lost one of his legs below the knee. And this is when my brother's ranger decides, that's it. I'm sick of you and being evil. We're going to tie you up. And I pick up the guy who's got a missing leg and I hold him up as a shield. And my brother's ranger shoots me through the foot and pins me to the ground. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And that's then amazing. they string me up by the foot he shot me through. And the ranger proceeds to uh, Batman style interrogate me. And he says, you're going to be good or we're going to keep at this. <laughs> so I agree to be good. And that character eventually became chaotic good and became more oh, or less wow. the plot of the show Arrow. Uh, where he became, a, there's a type of paladin where you're basically Batman, you get a secret identity and stuff like that. But yeah, I always liked that. So it was like, I, that character had real growth. It nice. involved Batman beating him half to death. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's also 12. So that was a... That's great. Yeah, uh, it's pretty pretty <laughs> messed up, but uh, pretty... I, I find it hilarious. Um, Dory? Yeah. <laughs> I... Um, I, I, I'll, I have a short one. I don't know if I've told this one on, on the podcast before, but um, speaking of evil characters, um, I, uh, I often in the past, for whatever reason, uh, played uh, evil clerics, but I would always um, hide that fact by pretending to be um, a, a good, like a, a cleric belonging to a, a beneficial uh, religion as cover. And uh, in this particular instance, I was a, um, a worm luck of Bashaba, which is a, a goddess of, of bad luck. Bad fortune, misfortune. Anyway, uh, to, basically, we encountered a, a, a town, and uh, in the town, there was a constable who, for some reason, was extremely suspicious of me. And I didn't do anything, anything, in my opinion, to draw his ire. So I got actually quite annoyed at this guy because I'm like, just totally like, what, what are you looking at me for? I'm just, you know, I, I worship, you know, the, the, the plant goddess. What's, what's your deal, man? You know, anyway, um, to cut to the chase, uh, there was a zombie issue, 
And uh, we later discovered that the zombies were coming from a, uh, a wine uh, cellar uh, full of giant wine casks. So the final fight scene ended up being in this, this underground cellar. And uh, so we're all, it's just chaotic. Like we're all down there just beating down, you know, zombies. And the constable was there too. Uh, oh, and I should mention the constable was an NPC. He wasn't actually being played by a player. He was uh, one of the characters that the games master was running. And uh, anyway, the constable uh, ended up getting grabbed by the leg and he fell down and he was being pulled underneath one of the casks. And uh, this was my favorite bit of role playing. Only maybe only I enjoy this, but basically the constable shouted out. He said, help me, help, help. And so I said aloud at the table, I said, my character goes, don't worry, I'm coming. And then I don't move. <laughs> and I let him get dragged under the cask. Now, the most annoying thing was, I, just, I was just like, I was like, I, I hate this guy. He somehow survived, which annoyed me the most, you know, like somehow he got <laughs> out of that whole mess. But anyway, um, yeah, I, uh, there's something about playing evil characters trying to, uh, you know, get by in a party, which is definitely a lot of fun if you're not there to really ruin anyone's day. It is, uh, it's definitely kind of interesting. Um, Mark, do you have another story? <laughs> um, yeah, this one is actually something that someone stymied me as a D&D, uh, as the DM. And it was actually my wife who did this. She doesn't play <laughs> anymore, but uh, we had this gaming session where I she was playing this high-level druid wizard who could pretty much, again, this was Planescape. She's probably around in and around that level 1920. She could teleport, all sorts. So I'd set it up so this horrible, horrible villain who did some horrible stuff to her family and so forth. Basically, the idea of the adventure was, let's go murder this guy because, you know, horrible villain. Everybody's on board. Let's butcher him. So we're like, what do we do? And the party left it up to her because, you know, this villain had done horrible stuff to her family. And we're right. all like ready for them to go, let's charge in and murder. And she goes, I'm going to go talk to my mother. And I'm like, what? And it's just like, you're, you're going to teleport away to a different plane to go see her. And she's like, yep. I'm like, I need to go have a cigarette and figure out what I'm doing now. <laughs> and it just totally, we ended up having a fantastic session after that, but it was just one of those completely unforeseen. He's right there. And yeah. so, take some time to discuss this with, what you know and, <laughs> yeah and it was one of the funnest sessions we ever had but it was just through a loop and in i had to go take 10 15 minutes to kind of figure out the course of action and yeah it was good nice but just nice. threw me for a loop and yeah yeah that is pretty hilarious it's like blink yeah. <laughs> eric do you have any other stories um not that I can think of right now off the top of my head. I sure. thought we were only doing one, unfortunately. Sure, sure. <laughs> sorry, sorry. David, do you have another one? Oh, geez. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Prob- probably. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, okay. Pro- I yeah. probably have one. <laughs> I, 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 okay. I don't want to pressure anybody. If you have another one, I mean, go. Yeah. No, I can think of I can think of one right now. Um, so the, a game I was DMing, uh, I ran, I made my own version of Legend of Dragoon for D&D. Uh, actually, it was for Pathfinder. And I created my own continent and all this stuff and blah, 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 blah. And the the characters were, you know, going to be the dragoons because, of course, that's what's going to happen. They're going to get, you know, the dragon powers and become the main characters because uh, all my friends were big JRPG fans at the time. 
So uh, the guy, I, I did the classic thing where I had like the Obi-Wan Kenobi character like round them all up and be like, you guys are going to be the Dragoons and I'm going to help you, blah, blah, blah. But of course, this guy was secretly the big, bad, evil guy. Uh, the BBEG, as people call him. Because um, my plan as the DM was like, I'll round all these guys up and then I'll murder them because the only people who can stop me are the people who destined to become these heroes. Um, so they figure out that he's going to be the guy, but before that happens, uh, one character, he's the last to get a Dragoon Stone. So he's not a Dragoon yet, everyone else is, and he's the rogue. And he's really upset that he doesn't get to be, you know, he doesn't have these powers yet. Uh, but he knows that this guy is one. And so the guy wears one around his neck. So he forges a replica while everyone's sleeping over many nights. And then he takes it off because he's a rogue. He's sneaky. He takes it off his neck, puts a different one on, and then takes it. But then he decides to go through the guy's bag and finds that the real Dragoon Stone is actually in his bag. And that he, was, he had a fake one around his neck. So he took that too and he replaced yeah. that one too. So they finally he's like, so they finally get to the point where this guy's like, ah, I've caught you all and I'm going to kill you now. Huh. What? And like nothing happens. And he doesn't turn. And he's like, oh, I stole your Dragoon Stone. So you can't transform. And then he uses it and he turns into the Dragoon. And the guy's like, oh, crap. And he has to teleport away. So they essentially defeated my villain just by being like thieving <laughs> bastards. Which is the best way, really. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Really, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, good, good. So I think, uh, I think we're going to try to wrap up. And uh, so a couple more questions, I guess, is uh, if uh, as an adult, uh, one were interested in um, checking out Dungeons & Dragons, uh, what would you guys say is the best way to to um, introduce or to try out Dungeons and Dragons these days. Uh, Mark? These days, well, in all honesty, fifth eds. Yeah. One of the things I like it is really easy to get into. It's it's simple, straightforward, quick to learn. Um, There was a bit of a barrier. Second ed with the whole Thacko, a lot of people found that kind of confusing. And, a bit backwards. Yeah, well, when half the stuff you count up and the other half the stuff you count down, it got a little confusing for people. But um, no, I don't think it's too much of a challenge. It's just finding the right people to play with. Mm-hmm. That's the trick. And, sure. I mean, I could see 10-year-olds doing it. I know of a friend who's teaching their 7-year-old to play Dungeons & Dragons. So my daughter hasn't shown too much interest yet, but I'll get her there. But uh, yeah, just find the right people. And as long as you find the right people, work through it, fudge some rules if you need to, whatever. It's, it's about the fun and the adventure, not so much about whatever's written in some book somewhere. So that's the trick. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, Dave, uh, David, do you have a thought on yeah, that? Uh, so Jim Zub's Canadian comics writer, and he and his wife, Stacey King, wrote some really good uh, non-rule D&D books called there's like warriors and weapons and yep. uh, tombs and those are really good. Cause you can just hand a kid that book yeah, and they'll be like, Ooh, cool. There's like monster. If they like monsters, monsters, if they yeah. like different classes, they can go through that stuff. Um, so like, that's a neat way to just go like, here's a thing and there's no rules in it. And then they'll go, well, how, what do we do with this? And you go, well, we can play it. Um, that is one way that that's probably a good way with a lot of kids now, but there's all kinds of, there's like kid friendly D and D podcasts. Mm-hmm. Actually I've listened to a couple and they're not terrible. You think they'd be a, you know, a little Saturday morning cartoon, but they're not, they're actually, some of them are pretty good. 
Um, so any stuff like some people, you know, some people listen with their kids. Some people don't even care and they watch Critical Role with their kids. And I oh, would sure. consider Critical Role like R-rated because there's mm. there's nudity, not on stream, but implied in the, in you know the mental capacity. But also there's kids a lot don't of swearing understand that. <laughs> and a lot of. I mean, you can watch Game of Thrones with your kids if you really wanted. <laughs> <laughs> no, right? We do not yeah, endorse I that. I mean, just honestly, if you yes, just show do. your kid, like if you want your kids to get into it, just leave a book like that lying around. Like cool, cool artwork. Yeah. Um, even like a player's handbook or like the starter set. Just like, ooh, what's all the like that kind of stuff? Kids, right? Kids pick up stuff. Uh, and yeah. I think that's probably the best. Like I play my nephew's twelve. We play with him. We started playing him with him when he was about 11, 10 or eleven. And he's terrible at the game part, but he loves playing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 what it is at the end of the day. It's it's play. Right. Um, that was actually going to be my suggestion too. Like, I mean, like what Mark said, uh, fifth edition is actually quite easy now for any adult to get into. But then also I'm amazed by these books. I think they're called actually the young adventurers, adventurers guide. guide. Yeah, that's right. They yeah. are awesome. Like I, I have a friend uh, who has uh, young children and he picked some of these up and he showed these books to me. And I'm like, man, if these books had come out like 10 years ago, even though I'm too old for them, I would have totally bought them all. You know, I might still actually. That's actually yeah. one of the cool things is even if you're just an adult who doesn't know a lot about like the mechanics, mm. yeah. you can pick those books up and learn about how D&D yes. functions as a game without actually learning any rules. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to read a rules book to play D&D. No, they're really, they're really well um, articulated and designed to introduce the concepts and they're just wonderful. Like just great little books. Um, so Yeah. So that was a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, Eric, <laughs> what do you have to say about this topic? Apparently nothing. Yes. Shut up, Eric. Um, actually, Wizards of the Coast has a ton of um, young campaigns on their website. So they have some for six and above. The one I can think of right now is called Monster Slayers, the Heroes of Hesiod. It was actually based on a book. So they have that for free. A bunch of their young player campaigns are free on DD just to get people into the into playing it and you know that's six and up so the basic rules are free on there too you don't even need to yeah. buy a book to play the game yeah, yeah. No, no go ahead yeah no no go for it no no i was gonna say no that's great eric i forgot <laughs> to no I, I no sorry i i i yeah no you pointed out a good thing that the the company is actually quite supportive of um you know creating sessions for kids and having products for them mm-hmm well, it makes sense. They're owned by Hasbro, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they want to sell kids toys. Well, yeah. and, and those kids turn into us. That's right. Literally thousands of dollars on gaming books. That are, that yeah. Are books, yeah. miniatures, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. Oh, there's also comic books. So if your kid likes comic books, like Jim Zub has written all the legends of Baldur's Gate. And if you're an adult and you like the Baldur's Gate games, pick those books up because Minsk is in and everybody loves Minsk. Um, and they're they're definitely like, Kids could read these comics. They're not, you know, adult, they're not graphic or anything. So they're definitely, you know, available for kids. Yeah. Uh, and of course, there's the book, there's the novels, which is how most of us got into yeah. worlds yes, probably that's true. too. Yeah, like, you just them. put a novel on a table. It's like, oh, it's, oh, pick it. Like my nephew's reading all the Dritz books. Eric, what do you think? Are you going to, are you going to get a young ad- adventures guide and put it on the table and see? I have if, a bunch uh, of them ready. Oh, I, okay. I, well, never mind then. No, yeah, there you I have go. the four of the four. I don't think the fifth one's out yet. Yeah, no, it's um, not. So, do, do do you think your kids will be uh, interested in picking? Well, them I'm up? gonna I'm gonna start the 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 ones that they have on the um the Wizards of the Coast website because those <laughs> are for younger kids. The young adventurer ones are usually for what nine year olds and up. I sure. think what they suggest. Um, the the 
the ones that are for six-year-olds are like what, half an hour to an hour games. It's so that they don't have to sit around and not move for longer than half an hour sure. to an hour. Honey, do you want to be a half orc or a halfling? The good thing is that those, those <laughs> campaigns, they already have all their characters built. So you can just be like, which one looks prettiest? Right. You, want, you want the princess that has a yeah. has a nice little wizard uh, staff or whatnot? Yeah, you go 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 with them. I can already yeah. predict exactly what both of my daughters would play. Mm-hmm. The big- There's also, yeah, Wizards of the Coast also, I think they just released the My Little Pony uh, campaign. Yeah, yeah. there's miniatures for it too. You can paint. So, you know. So if your kids like painting and like My Little Pony. Who doesn't yeah. like My Little Pony? They're amazing. Yeah, we didn't even get to the all the all those, uh, you know, the painting and everything else. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, that's cool. That's not, I, core. that's not core to the game. That's just some, some of us like to do. Yeah, that's more tactical as well, right? Sure. That's for something that's hard to do. Yeah. yeah. No, but thanks for highlighting that, Eric. Actually, I didn't know that they had something for actual six-year-olds, you know, and ready to go like that. That's awesome. Yeah, they're for Um, bigger stuff that's not Dungeons and Dragons. That is for like four-year-olds to six-year-olds as well. My my friend, since I was four, he's got uh, his daughter's six now or seven, and he's played a couple of times, like really, really simple. Like they use a D6 sort of thing. Right. Sort of like those uh, books you were talking about, the the, uh, fighting fighting fantasy. fantasy, but toned probably toned down a little bit um but the same idea where it's like really really simple mechanics and really really simple stories yeah that can get kids into this and as they get older you can make it more complicated yeah, yeah geek and sundry also has a couple things like that um it's i think the ones for their four and five year olds are so that they also learn their numbers but you know sure that's the age for it so that, no, that that is actually an important part of uh, uh like the early uh, learning thing i know that um at some game stores they actually do run uh, D&D camps. Um, and I don't know if they're sponsored by Hasbro or if it's just the stores, but I have a feeling it's a Hasbro initiative. Um, they'll have like somebody there who's there purposely to teach uh, kids and run a campaign for them. So yeah, so there's so many, so many great ways um, to get something going. Yeah, I, uh, I would love to hear um, what uh, Mark and uh, Eric get up to with their kids D&D campaigns. <laughs> Um, I think that'd be awesome actually. Mm-hmm. So yeah. All right. Well, that was, uh, that was a whole lot of D and D. Uh, so let's uh, put it out to our audience. Do you guys have uh, a setting that you, uh, prefer over the ones that uh, we didn't cover or, uh, do you have stories uh, that are just, um, you've never stopped the laughing about or being horrified by, um, are there role-playing games that, uh, that you prefer over Dungeons and Dragons? Um, yeah, send us uh, send us an email at our various uh, social media outlets, and I uh, guess uh, let's uh, we'll call it a night. So um, yeah, thank you for listening, and uh, yeah, have a good night, guys. Bye. <laughs> yeah, Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for us this week on Geeks with Kids. If you want to get a hold of us, you can send us an email at podcast at geekswithkids.ca. And don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekswithkids. Follow us on Twitter at geekswithkidscn. Check out our pics on Instagram at geekswithkids. And you can find all of this good stuff on our website at www.geekswithkids.ca. So if you like what you hear, why don't you hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and your favorite podcasting app. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.